Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Two seconds. He'll get a shot off on the way. Got it. Finds Ward and there's his game winner. On the move, on the way. Tucker will score. Sean Tucker with a touchdown. Gillen. Got it. Derek, you win. Are you serious? Five down. One to go. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com with episode 75 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast, presented by Bet Online, Hoffman Sausage Company, and Purple Banana. We have a fantastic episode for you this time. We will recap Syracuse football's win over Colgate to start the season 1-0 and take a look ahead at the Orange's Week 2 matchup against Western, Western Michigan. But it will not just be me this time, as I have three fantastic co-hosts with me to discuss all of this and more. Joining me are Josh Crawford, Griffin Delapena, and Sidney Suple, all who write and cover football for AllSyracuse.com. BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. So, Josh, let's go right to you. Why don't you give the listeners a little quick Cliff Notes version of your background, how you got into sports broadcasting? Um, former D-tackle at Prairie a you know, A lot of you recognize my content from last year. I was in the round covering the beef for basketball or football. So ingratiating myself into the, the upstate New York community, you know, having a, a year, a little a year of experience and also uh, playing football. I've always been a pretty opinionated guy. So I've been able to, you know, let that spew out in them and having a job. And, you know, I do great things with great people as the three other, you know, beautiful people on the screen. So I, I appreciate it. It gives me, it affords my opportunity to do the, to talk about the thing I love the most, which is sports. And for those who are longtime listeners of the show, you remember that Josh often referenced Memphis last year a bunch of times the most uh, beautiful land in the world 901 they just passed a couple of days ago and uh he now loves central new york more than memphis so that's good uh, <laughs> and the hyperbole starts already the you know, hyperbole starts already that's right i mean syracuse won 65 nothing and they were the number two most efficient um defense i think in the country um uh, so i mean national championships on the horizon so we're not doing hyperboles yet but uh griffin Let's uh, let's go to you. Let's give uh, the listeners a quick background on yourself. Yeah, what's going on, everybody? Um, from Buffalo, New York, originally, so not too far away, right down the 90. I went to Canisius College, small D1 school, played baseball there for my first two years, but this is kind of always what I wanted to get into. So once injuries kind of got the better of me, I sat back and thought about it. Might as well start getting experience now while I was in school. So uh, I was our multimedia reporter for all 20 of our D1 teams and now taking that uh, here to Syracuse. And it's been uh, really awesome so far. And for those, uh, obviously, everyone's listening. You can't see, but I can see. And in Griffin's background, I see a Stefan Diggs jersey. So obviously, and a yeah. Bills logo back there. 
So uh, from Buffalo with the Bills stuff there, all on brand. Uh, Sydney, let's go to you next. Let's give everyone a little background on yourself. Yes. Um, hello, everybody. I am born and raised from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, which automatically makes me the most diehard Packer fan there possibly ever was. Um, but then I have spent the last four years at Northwestern University, where I was a pitcher and first baseman on the softball team. We were able to go to the Women's College World Series in 2022, win a couple of Big Ten titles while I was there. So it was a blast, but that time taught me I could never leave sports. I love it too much. So I'm excited to keep that going here and just being a part of all of this. So we have three former Division One athletes and then myself, an intramural superstar. So we are cut. We have all bases covered here, but uh, we're going to get right into the season opening win for Syracuse football, 65 to nothing over Colgate. We'll go to takeaways from the win. We'll start with you, Josh. My biggest one of my biggest takeaways, you know, I talked about wanting to kind of handle business against the FCS opponent. But, you know, unlike last year, you want to come away from this game mostly, mostly healthy. And we were able to do that. No season in injuries. Elijah Clark had a little bit of a stinger in the, in the first quarter, but came back, was a was tied for the leading tackler. And, and that was the thing to where we got out a lot healthier than last year. So, you know, building off that uh, that health thing, you got not only no major injuries coming out of this game, but two of your biggest starters from last year, Stephon Thompson and Terry Lockett, you know, working their way back into the, the back of the rotation, guy that you obviously know can have a big impact for your team. But the fact that they were out there in the twos, especially Terry not being listed on the depth chart, and see them moving around and making plays, you know, in more limited snaps than they'll play now than ultimately once you get into conference play, it was good for those guys to look like, you know, about 80, 85, 90% of their, their former sales. Because once you get it, like I said, once you get into conference play and you'll be relying on your best 11, whoever it is, it's nice to see that they're going to be out and looking, you know, on schedule in terms of their rehab. Griffin, you're next. Yeah, I mean, me and Josh, we actually talked a little bit about this. I think Elijah coming back in that game, when he went down initially, I had the thought in my head. That was a scary again. moment. It's gonna that be was another, a scary moment. Exactly. Another year with the injury bug, but for him to come back and play very well, he was the highest graded player on PFF. So great for him. Uh, but we also talked post game how I think that the schedule and how it looks early on this season, I think it's going to better prepare this team farther down the road. Because if you look at last year, week one, no time to work out the kinks, right? ACC game right off the bat against Louisville. And then it was up and down with like the level of strength of their opponents. You go to UConn, then you play home against Purdue, Virginia, another weaker ACC opponent, Wagner, and then you get to the heart of your ACC play. What I really like with this schedule this year is how it's that steadily gradual incline up with your strength of your opponent. You're playing an FCS team like Colgate, then it gets a little tougher next week with Michigan State and so on and so forth. When you go on the road at Purdue, you play home against Army and then your big test week five home against Clemson. So I think they did exactly what they had to do in this game and that steady progression each week, especially with a lot of question marks going into the season, is looking like it's the right intention for this year's schedule. And Elijah Clark was the sixth highest rated safety in the country in week one, according to Pro Football Focus. Sydney, your takeaways from the game. Yeah, you know, I'm a big numbers girl, and we would do this offense coming in. There was plenty of ways for them to be able to score, but they scored the most points in the Dino Babers era so far. And I thought it was even more impressive. They had 34 first downs, and then they only gave up six 
first downs as a defense, which is just unbelievable, being able to just control both sides so well. And I think, like Griffin said, just they're going to be able to build confidence. You looked at Schrader coming back from injury through a career-high touchdowns. Right away, that just tells your whole team that this guy is back and better than ever. So I think they're just going to be able to build confidence with each and every game. That you know, Marlo Wax had a huge game defensively. So I think both sides of the ball, they're able to walk away knowing not only can they score in multiple ways, but they can also stop a team in multiple ways. Want to eat healthy like Syracuse football players? Then you want Purple Banana. Located on Marshall Street next to Varsity Pizza, Purple Banana is known for its acai bowls, but offers many more bases than just acai with over 25 toppings to choose from. They also offer smoothies, cold-pressed juices, oatmeal, and salad. Everything is made from fresh ingredients daily and is colorful, healthy, and delicious. The vast majority of the shop is gluten-free, vegan, and dairy-free with options for all health-specific needs. Purple Banana is your go-to shop for healthy, delicious options that will have you feeling like a Syracuse Orange athlete. Visit purplebanana315.com or purplebanana315 on Instagram for more. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting. So they've got two new off two new coordinators, new offense coordinator, new defense coordinator. This was both of their first game at Syracuse. The defense pitches a shutout, and as you said, only gave up six first downs. Colgate barely had a hundred yards of total offense. Offensively, they set a school record for most uh, yards at a game of yards of total offense. That's a pretty good debut for both sides, right? You don't give up any points. You're one of the best defenses in the country statistically now. And offensively, you set a school record. That's that's pretty good. And I understand who the opponent is, but Syracuse plays an FCS team every year, and they haven't done this before. So that that means something to some extent. Uh, my biggest takeaway, I think, is special teams. They had a couple of penalties early that allowed Colgate to um, keep a drive alive that they otherwise shouldn't have. However, if you put that aside, I thought the... Uh, the punt return game was fantastic. DeMarcus Adams looked absolutely dynamic back there. And I am actually surprised after the first couple of punt returns that he didn't run one back for a touchdown. He looked like he was real close to doing so. The kicking game looked solid. Brady Denneber kicked the ball out of the end zone on, on almost all of his kickoffs, didn't allow a single kick return, and then uh, made all of his extra points, made one short field goal. So, you know, th- that was about as good as, as it could be. And punter, the the punter. Punting is not sexy. Punting is not what people talk about. However, Syracuse's punting the last two years has been absolutely atrocious. And Jack Stonehouse came in. He only had one punt, but it was 49 yards, had a ton of air under it, was was just worlds better than what it had been the last two years. Goes back to what we're expecting as a punter at Syracuse when you look at Riley Dixon and Sterling Hoffrichter and then into Nolan Cooney, guys that are in the NFL or got serious NFL looks. And... um even back to Rob Long when when he was here, so I think all in all, special teams passed the uh, passed the first test, and then obviously as competition gets uh, gets a little bit more difficult, then they'll they'll have to continue that. Now, from all the positives, we'll take it take a look at some of the negatives. Perhaps what were some of the biggest areas of concern that you have going into week two? We'll sort of go in reverse order here. We'll start with you, Sydney. Yeah, I think my biggest area of concern is just with the offensive line. I mean, I think we really lucked out, obviously only gave up one sack, but I think that's really only credit to how good Schrader could be and just getting 
you know, himself out. He's quick. He can run the ball, but I think they're going to have to get better and they're going to have to get better quickly. I think Western Michigan's going to be better. You look at, they had the 65th highest um, ranked defense in the country last year, but they did have, you know, quite a bit of turnover from the defensive line perspective. But once we get into the heart of the ACC, you know, our line is going to have to do a better job at protecting Schrader. Griffin, your, your uh, thoughts on what needs to improve going into week two. And it's nothing that really was hard for me to pinpoint throughout the game. I just see a bigger, heavy emphasis on stopping the run. You look at Western Michigan, what they did in week one. Guys in the trenches, they did good against Colgate, but now they're playing a team that St. Francis is no slouch in the NEC. Another FCS school, they went 9-3 and three last year. They're supposed to win that conference this year. And when they started to make it a football game, it was 21-17 in Western Michigan in the second half, ran the ball down their throats. They had 339 yards on the ground, and uh, they had it from guys that did nothing last year. You look at Jalen Buckley. He was just announced earlier today, co-Mac uh, West Offensive Player of the Week, had 30 carries for 194 yards and a touchdown in all of last year. He had nine rushes for 27 yards. So they're getting production from guys that, weren't going to be on the radar to begin the season, but I have full confidence in Coach Babers coming from Bowling Green. He knows a lot about the Mid-American uh, Conference in general as well. So uh, I'm excited to see what they'll try to do in stopping the run this week. Josh, what needs to improve going into week two? Um, I think my point of playing a little bit to both of those, like talking about warming up this uh, run defense, I think that was a struggle point last year. Just that three three five with those three down linemen, especially with the the smaller interior guys that SU is going to deploy, it's always going to be um, a thing to emphasize in terms of you know bringing, bringing pressure to you know stop outside zone, making sure that you're you know having a a and b gap blitzes so to to plug those those middle those inside zone type of stuff for your running backs that they won't have easy creases. But really going off of Sydney's point with the offensive line, you know, you're replacing four out of five starters uh, up front. And it looked like, you know, the main guy that you're, you know, your most uh, senior guy, the guy with the most experience, Chris Blythe, is the guy committing the two false start penalties to start the game. So I know that we that was a thing that a lot of people was talking about in terms of uh, a swing skill in terms of the, the success of this team. And um, unfortunately, those concerns were justified this uh, were justified in this game, not only with the penalties was kind of a, a sneaky thing that was a thing throughout the first uh, half of the season that kind of went away as the season went on, but um, kind of rid his ugly head in a way that we didn't expect it against the FCS opponent. And also, like Sydney said, just in terms of pass pro, uh, Colgate was one of the least productive pass rush teams in, in the country last year, and they still managed to get off one and had at least three or four pressures that uh, you know Schrader made his way out way that way out of, like she said. So for them to not have a dominant showing in a team that, you know, in every other aspect you essentially dominated, that'll be something, um, like Griff said, as you track that progression of, of, of literally going up in the competition, will that offensive line take a nosedive in terms of, you know, procedural stuff, stuff that Bay was, was frowned upon at the press conference, and also being able to hold up in the, in the pattern protection and allow us to do what he does best. It's tailgating season, and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer Bratwurst, Jalapeno Cheddar Sausage, Kabasi, and Bun Lang Chicken Sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and Snappy Grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud sponsor of Syracuse University Athletics.
Yeah, to your point, I think penalties is a huge area of emphasis. It seems like it has been almost every year, the Dino Babers era. I know it was an issue last year. They were one of the most penalized teams in the country. They did get better down the stretch, but oddly enough, as they got better with penalties, they lost more games. So maybe they need to commit more penalties. I don't know. Uh, But, you know, in, in week one, they had four first quarter penalties and they only had three after that. So which team are they? It, was it just game one jitters that caused some of those issues in, in the first quarter and the rest of the game was pretty clean from that aspect. And that's what you expect in week two. Then, you know, perhaps I, I sort of forgive those four, four first quarter penalties and, and look at this team as, as one that's going to be more disciplined than it had been in the last couple of years um, at Syracuse, but it is still an area of concern. And until I see it, it's going to be something that, that I monitor. And we're doing we're, we're doing like a level of nitpicking too in a sixty five level are, to win. Absolutely, like it's but definitely things where we're we're picking we're throwing straws in terms of just like I said like I said in my article my article earlier this week we're expecting to win but to win in the in the right type of way. But ultimately, like you said, the scoreboard is the scoreboard, and like we're like we're doing a lot of projecting in terms of stuff that we can see concern about that didn't really manifest itself out on the field on Saturday. Yeah, but at the same time, if you're committing ten penalties a game but you're winning every game by four touchdowns, no one cares, right? <laughs> I mean, Correct seriously, the moon, though. right? So um, at the end of the day, how, how what the final score looks like is, is really what's going to dictate it. But that aside, the other issue is, and I know two of these of, of the three turnovers that happened for Syracuse were by backups, guys that you're not really expecting to play prominent roles. But that being said, they did turn the ball over three times against an FCS team. And I don't care if you're on your third or fourth string guys, they still need to hold on to the ball. Right. I mean, it, it was two fumbles. And, and so you got to hold on to the ball. They, they have to be better with ball security, regardless of who's in there. Um, you know, Syracuse has had to go to backup quarterbacks in the last couple of seasons. Seems like most seasons under Dino Babers, they've had to at least use two quarterbacks during the season. And so if you're going to second and third guys at different points during the year, you have to be able to rely on them. So putting the ball on the floor, on the ground a couple of times, not a great thing. And I'm not exactly sure what happened with Garrett Schrader at the end of the first half, if there was miscommunication on the route there, but it was an issue. Something happened. They made a mistake. Schrader threw the ball to a spot where he expected a receiver to be. The receiver wasn't there. I don't know whose fault it was, but when you start playing against better teams, you can't make that mistake and, and have it not cost you. They, it happened. It didn't cost them against Colgate because they were worlds better than what Colgate is from a talent perspective. But those are two two areas I'm looking for Syracuse to clean up. And Griffin, to your point, um, Western Michigan ran the ball exceptionally well. They averaged a little over five yards a carry. So did Syracuse. So both teams ran the ball very, very well against FCS level opponents. But Western Michigan's FCS level opponent was of higher caliber than what Syracuse's was. That said, uh, St. Francis threw the ball for 230 some odd yards against against uh, Western Michigan, including a touchdown, didn't throw a pick. So they were able to move the ball a little bit through the air. And I think that's something that Syracuse could look to exploit this coming week. Um, one note before we get to our last topic, which is if if the week one outcome changed what you look at for Syracuse and what their outlook is for the rest of the season. But two future Syracuse opponents lost some head scratchers this, this week to start their seasons. Purdue lost um, at home in a somewhat close game, but not, you know, th- that was a game I think that that Purdue is expected to win. Boston College lost at home to Northern Illinois. Purdue lost at home to Fresno State, 39-35. Boston College lost to Northern Illinois in overtime. 
two games that both teams, I think, expected to win, expected to probably win pretty handily, and yet both fall. That's how college football works. So just get quick reaction from each of you on those two opponents, and if it changes how you view their matchup with Syracuse later on in the season. Josh. Um, you know, you never want to disrespect an entire fan base and you know, a whole thing, but BC is BC. You yes, know, they you got do. their little Matt Ryan days. And, and it, you know, actually, you're right. Yeah. With your Eagles <laughs> fandom flying high, actually, I do. But for the sake of this, if it's Cowboys fans, then yes, we disrespect them at all costs. <laughs> Definitely so. Shout out, Pop. But no, Cowgirl season is out here. But BC is BC. They're a perennial ACC dweller. And it, I think, especially with uh, Phil Jerkovich transferring to Pitt, it's not going to be a thing. To, there was a lot of expectations for them anyway. So. Kind of not a one-off, but just kind of sign of, of things to come for uh, their program. But honestly, with this Purdue game, it was a very interesting, you know, upset in terms of this being looked at that swing matchup to determine, you know, more success going to the middle of the, the se- middle of the this year. Um, we reviewing some of the just the tape of their loss. You know, Fresno State obviously having that that Pac-12 background or whatever the remnants of the Pac-12 is. You know, they're gonna do a lot of arrogant out. You know, Jake Hefner was one of the best QBs in the uh, in the country last year, but that was something that Purdue was really able to get exploited through their secondary. They didn't already have a lot of depth last year. Um, back there last year, and you had a guy like Corey Trice, a bigger corner, uh, going to the NFL. You got Tyrone Tracy, and that's about it. So they lost a little bit of talent on the defensive side of the ball. And the area that was already weak for them got a lot weaker. And going flipping to the offensive side of the ball, you know, there was a, a decent amount of expectations for Hudson Card, you know, with some of his play in Texas. But just the amount of chemistry and knowledge that Aiden O'Connell and Aiden O'Connell had in that system being there six years, you're not going to be able to replicate that. And you're not, again, having, again, talking about chemistry and him, what he established with Charlie Jones early in last season, knowing him well before he got into the program, just that level of trust, you know, Card is not going to have with any, any of his receivers. So you, you got you throw all that into a pot and you have a first year coach coming into Purdue, um, you know, very underwhelming performance. So it's not going to determine the entirety of their season. I don't think that it should be a thing to where we should necessarily look over them at all. But definitely not the best start to the Ryan Walton era out in uh, West Lafayette. If you give up 487 yards of total offense at home to Fresno State, that is a huge red flag. Griffin, your reaction to the two losses from Purdue and Boston College. I think the biggest thing for both of those programs is coming into the year, we knew that they were not ranked very high in the Big Ten or the ACC, but you have to think that these losses are going to make them hungrier long-term. It's obviously quicker in terms of when Syracuse is going to play Purdue, but anytime you lose a game to a program that you're paying to play you and to fly them out and to come, like that's just a one, a, a really tough look, but you have to expect an increase of play from here on out. Uh, But on the Syracuse side of things, like we talked about last week going in, and that was my big article, was Syracuse was not looking down on Colgate. They were going to take them 100% serious. And if you look at, you know, their matchups last year against both of those programs, went down to the wire against Purdue at home, the Rondé Gatson catch with 12 seconds left to win that game. And then the BC game, that game had a whole lot of implications. Last game of the year, Syracuse six-game losing streak. They still win that game, but it wasn't like it was handedly either. So I know that they're both in different spots this year, but you have to expect Syracuse on the road in two weeks, a primetime game in a very tough big-time environment. That's not going to be a walk in the park either, though, for Syracuse. No, and, and the interesting thing is Syracuse plays Purdue in week three. Purdue in week two plays at Virginia Tech. It's entirely possible you could get an 0-2 Purdue team playing at home that is going to be extremely desperate trying to get a win in that situation. And it almost reminds me of uh, a few years ago, I think it was 2019, 
Syracuse was ranked in the top 25. They were off fresh off of the 10 win season and they played Maryland in like week two that year and got absolutely destroyed at Maryland. I think it was 52 to 10 or say it was just wasn't competitive right from the start. Maryland was not good that year. I'm not even sure Maryland made a bowl game that year, but they were not a good team. Syracuse just caught them at the absolute worst possible time. They were honoring a teammate that had passed away during the offseason. There was a lot of emotion from that. It was their big home game against a ranked Power 5 opponent for a new head coach. They were trying to prove themselves. There were a lot of of, uh, variables there that were just going against Syracuse. And and then Syracuse wasn't as good as everyone thought they were going to be either. This almost reminds me of that in a way in that you're go- you could possibly be playing an 0-2 desperate Purdue team. And that's a tough spot to be in when you're going to play at a Big Ten team. Now, on paper, I think Syracuse is the better team and they have some matchup advantages. But as we all know, games don't aren't played out on paper. So you just don't know how that's going to go. Interestingly, though, they play Boston College much later in the season. It's uh, They don't play them until November 3rd. And so because of that, we don't know what Boston College is going to look like at that point. They've already made a change of quarterback. Um, you know, how good are they going to be? Are they going to be, you know, three and six or something like that at that point? And their season is all but over. And so they're not really playing for much. You have a big emotional advantage in that pers- in that game. Um, or will they turn it around and, and be right around 500 battling for a bowl game? So a lot to determine there. But I think the Purdue game, them possibly being 0-2 is, is if I'm a Syracuse fan, what would scare me a little bit. Sydney, your reaction to those games? Yeah, I would agree. I think in terms of Purdue, I think it's one of the hardest, I would say, top two places to play at in the Big Ten and just home crowd environment. You talk about just like a really rowdy crowd. And I think with that, if they drop the first home opener, I think it's quick to have the fans turn on them. And that's something I'm going to be really curious just to see at Purdue. But I think it's going to really fire up the team. And I think it's something that Syracuse has to be aware of. And I don't think Purdue fans, it's time to hit the panic button yet because I think a lot of people forget Fresno State's quarterback was a highly recruited player, came from UCF right out of the transfer portal, and he looked great. And I think he's going to go on to lead that team to have a very successful year. So I think Purdue caught a really great quarterback, and it was just a punch out. You talk about touching up touchdown after touchdown. So I think this Purdue team is actually going to go on to have a good year. I still like Syracuse's chances coming in at home, um, but I think they're going to be coming back with a vengeance, especially in week two. And I'm curious to see what they can bring in week three. And as for Boston college, we won't see him for yet another few weeks, but if you really look at the first three quarters, they didn't play a bad football game. You know, it wasn't really until the fourth quarter where they blew a 14 point lead and then obviously they lose in overtime on, you know, a quick snack quarterback sneak. So I think once they can clean up their fourth quarter and especially overtime and, you know, they're going to have that taste in their mouth. And I guarantee next time they have a lead, they're going to work hard on finishing stronger and closing the door. So I think we're only going to see these two teams get better until Syracuse plays them. It'll be interesting to see if uh, Boston College sticks with their quarterback change they made mid-game. Um, in that season opener because Emmett Moorhead came in as the guy that was supposed to be the future of Boston college football. And then in week one, he gets pulled and Boston college was better offensively. They moved the ball better under their backup. So it'll be interesting to see if he remains the starter moving forward or if they go back 
to Emmett. But we will wrap up the episode on our last topic of the show, which is has Syracuse's week one victory over uh, Colgate 65 to nothing combined with what their future opponents did in week one changed what your outlook is for the rest of the season. We'll go in reverse order once again. Sydney, right back to you. You know, I'm going to kind of stand with what I said um, in our you know, preseason rankings. You were very optimistic, by the way. I was, and I believe it even more boldly now. Um, I think if Syracuse can continue winning and they go into playing at home against Clemson undefeated, I think we have a good shot. I think all the momentum's on our side, like we mentioned. They have the perfect schedule to build confidence, to build reps, and that when they go in versus Clemson, and if they can go in undefeated, I, I think we can walk away with a win. Pretty confident. Griffin. I would say that this really hasn't changed it for me. Uh, They took care of business and they did what they were supposed to do against Colgate. I'm not saying that scoring 65 points and pitching a shutout isn't impressive against an FCS school because it it obviously is. Uh, But like in what I said in our season preview that Syracuse would go seven and five this year, I took the conservative approach on a few different reasons because I can see them get to their ceiling and be an eight or nine win team. But I watched, as I know you guys did too, that FSU-LSU game yesterday. Oh my goodness. The ACC is going to be legit this year. I don't think that people realize that yet. And you have the top dogs like FSU, Clemson, and UNC. But that next tier of teams, they're all hungry. I think they're all going to beat up on each other and prove that in conference play. So I think that second level of teams, which I think Syracuse definitely can be with the Pitts and Dukes of the – world in that conversation excuse me um i think that they just it's too early to tell like i think there's just so much season left i'm gonna stay with my approach that they will be seven and five yeah because every team's got flaws right so there's there's different things that you can um you can exploit in different matchups that are to your advantage you know for whatever reason syracuse has played clemson really tough over the dino babers era even though Clemson always comes in more talented. So, you know, it's just one of those things. We'll see how it all plays out. Josh, your reaction uh, to uh, Syracuse football in week one, along with everyone else, and if it changed your outlook on the orange. I'm going to lean heavy into the uh, everybody else category because, like I said, I've kind of been uh, screaming to the cows come home. That Purdue game is going to be a this is a big swing game in determining, determining how good we think this team and how well they're going to be able to handle the meat of that schedule. So with Purdue not looking like they're going to be as formidable as, you know, we anticipated them with being last year. And like you talk about matchup things in terms of what they don't do well on offense, running the ball, and one of our few weaknesses that we have in that 3-3-5 is stopping the run. I think that that'll be a more uh, solidifying victory in terms of uh, establishing momentum going into the rest of the season. And you know, t- talking about uh, ticker tie, recently updated information, like looking at this Clemson Duke game, Clemson is not a, a the dominant Clemson of pads that we're looking at in terms of being a, a playoff contender and running the table in the same way that, like Griffin said, FSU looks to be the big dog this year. So if you're, it's a big momentum is a big thing in sports. If you can build up that that uh, three and zero momentum, that four and zero momentum, you know, going into the meat of your schedule and playing a team like Clemson tough, like you did last year, and just a, a few penalties and a few uh, misguided de- decisions by Schrader, you know, ultimately determine that outcome. If you can build upon that momentum and have some confidence going to these games, you know, you can have a game where you punch above your weight. And you you really start to get in, you know, because the the Sydney Souffle realm of expectation in terms of getting those eight and nine wins. So that'll be interesting to see if, like you said, it's it's week one still. We have a lot of time for adjustments to be made. Got teams to study up on film, 
you know, Tennessee to really solidify themselves. But after week one performances by other teams on the schedule, not by Houston in particular, it does look a little bit more optimistic in my eyes. If Syracuse does end up nine and three, we're going to call it the Sydney special. I think. I think that's that's going to be the <laughs> official hashtag. We'll have to start tweeting I'm now. Be mad at that. That's right. Um, you rather I, I, be positive. Shoot nobody listening would be mad at that either, for sure. Um, listen, I, I, I was optimistic about what the Syracuse team could be going into the season. I think that they're a good football team. It's just that three-game stretch in the middle of the season where they play Clemson at home. They're back-to-back on the road against North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and then, or, I'm sorry, North Carolina, Florida State. And then they've got at Virginia Tech after that. Now, I don't think Virginia Tech is nearly as good as the other three. They're going to be one of the the bottom teams in the ACC, I think. But it's still a road game in conference, so that's going to be a difficult task. So outside of that, I really like the way the rest of the schedule shaped up. I think Purdue is not nearly as good as they were last year when Syracuse beat them. And I think they've got a lot of weaknesses that Syracuse can exploit. It's just that game is on the road. If it was in the Dome, I'd almost count it as a win already, right? I, I, I... think Syracuse is a much better team. So there's just always seems to be one or two games that Syracuse loses that, that they shouldn't last year at Pitt, Syracuse was the better team. Carlos Del Rio Wilson just wasn't quite ready for that type of a game. If he plays even an average game, Syracuse wins. Um, and you know, then Garrett Schrader was hurt the rest of the season and it just, they kind of couldn't get out of their own way. But if this team stays healthy, I think they're probably closer to the nine. I predicted seven to five like Griffin did, but if they stay healthy all season, I think they're probably going to end up somewhere in the eight, nine win range. But again, nothing that happened in week one changes my optimism for what the team is and uh, nor changes, you know, makes me think that all of a sudden a bowl game is in, is in jeopardy. I still think this is a good football team. So that'll do it for episode 75 of the believe in Syracuse podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.